with each of us, God is in the process of making us more and more like Christ. And if you think about Jesus, he lived his whole life, life-giving living, right? I mean, he just kept extending the very life of God uh, to the people he met wherever he went. Life-giving living. And so as Christians, uh, we are called to what we're calling life-giving living. And for the summer, we've turned our uh, minds towards the Old Testament wisdom book of Proverbs, uh, in part because when it comes to life-giving living, I think many people, most Christian people would say, yeah, that's really what I'd like to be. But one of the problems that gets in the way of us not being able to live with more life-giving living is that some of us get so burdened with problems of our own. We have so many personal problems in our own personal lives that when you come to church and somebody talks about more life-giving living to somebody else, you're just like, ah! You know, there's no way I can do that. And uh, we've got these problems that just I've kind of observed in people's lives that, you know, what keeps us from being able to really invest in other people? And oftentimes it's because we've got so many problems of our own. You know, we've got financial problems. Our marriages are struggling. We've got anxiety-ridden, you know, emotions. And, and we've got all of these kinds of things we're trying to deal with. And, and, and it keeps us from being able to really do life-giving living. Well, the book of Proverbs is designed, you know, to address those kinds of practical everyday, how to have a better marriage, how to do better in your finances, how to, um, you know, get along socially, who to pick for friends, you know, and all of these kinds of things, very practical kinds of things, God's wisdom as to how to live in our everyday lives. And so we're going to Proverbs in the hopes that, you know, it will free us up uh, so that we might uh, be able to offer ourselves to God in greater portions and uh, be available for this life-giving living. So this morning, one of the themes that kind of runs through Proverbs is that people who have been originally created in God's image, we are to own our own lives. We're to own our own lives. Okay? Um, life is a gift from God. And when God gave you your life, he gave with it the ability to choose, the ability to create, the ability to think, the ability to respond, the ability to make decisions. And he also reveals to us the consequences that will happen in our lives based on the decisions that we make. To own your own life is to realize that it's not up to somebody else to make your life better. What does it mean to own your own life that God gave to you? It means you realize it's not up to somebody else to make your life better. Uh, I have the power and the control over my own circumstances. And what happens to me is one thing, but what I do with it is something else. And in life and in eternity, the Bible says, all right, that what we sow is what we reap. Kind of where we're at today is the result of choices we made yesterday. And where we'll be in the future is the result of choices that we make today. And so one of the things that Proverbs teaches us is to own our own lives. And I want to suggest to you, however, that this is not the way most people think. Uh, for some people, in fact, I think this is a totally new idea. 
You know why? Because we've been raised in a culture of blame. My problems are always somebody else's fault. And when we think like that, we don't think I own my own life. We think everybody else owns my life. And poor me, I'm just a victim of everybody else's stuff. And so when we grow up in a culture like that, uh, when all of my problems are somebody else's fault, it's my parents who messed up, it's my friends who let me down, it's my environment, my circumstances were against me, it's my job, it's my spouse, and so on. And even when we go to the legal system sometimes, we're encouraged to put the blame on somebody else and even sometimes rewarded for it. And so we grow up in this kind of culture. But isn't it more true to say, you know what, we've been raised and we live in the midst of a culture that's tainted by sin, that's broken by rebellion against the God who created us and gave us our life. And we are living with the consequences every day. Uh, but as Christians, God has given us the opportunity by faith to overcome the world. Faith is a victory, right, that overcomes the world. So, you know, the idea of making excuses and blaming other people, you know, blaming is not a new idea. That didn't start with our generation. When God asked Adam, you know, why did you eat the fruit back there in Genesis chapter 3, you remember what Adam said? It's the wife that you gave me. It's her fault and your fault, right? That's what Adam did. And uh, you know what? Um, I totally understand Adam. Whenever I do something dumb, if I can find a way to blame my wife, I feel better. It's still very much alive in me, Adam's nature. And she'll confirm that. Now, you're only laughing because you know you do the same thing, right, guys? And not only that, but then God turns to Eve and says, Eve, well, why did you eat the fruit? And, you know, she too tries to avoid being responsible for her own life. And she says, it's the devil who made me do it. No, the devil tempted you, but you chose to listen. You chose. You had the freedom to choose, and you chose. I think if Adam could have found an attorney... He'd have gone after God for his fallen life. He'd have blamed God, you know? Okay, it's a fundamental problem of our human nature. But here's the issue. When we fail to take responsibility for our own lives and we shift blame and responsibility to somebody else, two things happen, it seems to me. Number one, it always makes us feel better to have an excuse and to blame somebody else. In the immediate, we just feel better. It just takes it off us, right? However, the second thing that happens is that it paralyzes us from making the needed improvements. If my problem is your fault, I have to just wait until you get fixed. And I'm powerless. I'm paralyzed. Poor me. And my life is riddled with these problems that keep me from ever being free enough to really offer myself to God in meaningful ways to do what God has put us and left us here on the planet to do in our generation. So I think we need to understand kind of what the scriptures are saying to us. And, and you know, not only do we have blame and excuses to put onto other people, but we always have reasons for our excuses. We always have a reason why it's somebody else. And we have good reasons, right? With Adam and Eve, the Bible says, you know, that 
Adam was ashamed. And Adam was afraid. He had reasons for blaming somebody. He was ashamed. I understand that. He has pride. He wants to save face. And he was afraid. He felt guilty. Wasn't quite sure how God was going to deal with him if he came clean. So I just blamed somebody else. There's always reasons behind blame and excuses. But listen, the reasons never solve our problems. They're legitimate reasons. They're true. We understand it. But the reasons never solve our problems. I understand being afraid. I understand being ashamed. But the truth is, still, we are the only ones with God's help who can do anything about our life. In fact, uh, one of the results of being a believer, according to the Bible, one of the results of becoming a Christian is that God's Spirit gets inside of us, and one of the fruits of His Spirit is self-control. One of the gifts of God is the power to make choices in line with how God says life works. And that creates freedom. And freedom is what gives us opportunity for more life-giving living. And I don't think we'll ever do more life-giving living until, we're under, until we have self-control, until, until I can make my choices. And so I say, wow, I am free, and God has done such wonderful things in my life that I'm so free that I'm going to invest my life for his kingdom. And I'm going to be like Jesus and live life-giving, live a life-giving uh, life. Now, I think that um, Proverbs, you know, has a, a colorful way of talking about this. Do you know what a slug is? You know what a slug is? That slimy, spineless blob? Kind of a snail-like creature, only without a shell? Well, uh, that spineless blob of a uh, snail-like creature sort of just exists. And so uh, Proverbs goes on to call people who live like that sluggards. Sluggish. Sluggards. Okay? And, uh, you know, if, if you turn in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6, is, uh, there are a couple places where sluggards are talked about. And uh, one of this, here's, here's what it says about the sluggard in verses 9, 10, and 11. Uh, the author here asks a question about a sluggard. He says, uh, how long are you going to lie there? How long are you just going to stay where you're at? How long are you going to be a slug? How long are you just going to live with your problems? How long? That's the question. How long are you going to lie there, you sluggard? When are you going to get up from your sleep? When are you going to wake up and realize what God has given you? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Here's the way life works. Sluggards produce their own problems. Just the way life is, the way life works. You are responsible to own your own life. And so the question uh, Proverbs asks is, you know, how long do you want to live like a slug? How long do you want to be like this? How long do you want to procrastinate? Uh, how often do you have things that you know need to be done, but you choose not to do them? And you say, I'll do it later. I'll do it some other day. I'll get around to it next time. You know, and so on and so forth. And uh, every time we respond to some responsibility with not now, we're kind of a little bit like the sluggard. And the scriptures tell us that, you know, if we get into the habit of doing that, there's going to be a lot of problems uh, that will show up in our lives. Every time we make excuses or blame somebody else, 
It's the same thing. We're kind of like the slug. Look at this. Uh, turn to Proverbs uh, chapter 26. In um, Proverbs 26, I have another, uh, Proverbs 26, verse 14. Listen to this. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. Anybody relate? I have to confess to you that from being a little kid, I knew this verse. Uh, I hope this doesn't wreck any, you know, like pastoral fantasy that you might have of me. But I've always rocked myself to sleep at night, like a hinge, okay? And yes, I still do, okay? Just kind of been a habit, all right? But here's what I learned from, from this proverb at an early age. Rocking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth is for sleeping, not for living. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That's what he's saying. Here's what the sluggard does. He can never make a decision. He can never move forward. It's just like a hinge. Just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Should I do this? Should I do that? Stays put. It's for sleeping. It's for sluggards. It's not for living. It's not for living. Uh, and the point is that the sluggard, you know, is going no place. Just goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Can't move past things. Can't trust God to make a decision that would move them past to the next kind of level where God is trying to lead them in their life. Look at the very next verse. <laughs> verse 15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Picture this. You're sitting across from the old man at the breakfast table, and he's a slug. And he just drops his hand into the Cheerios and stays there. Right? I mean, that's you know, kind of exaggeration. But a sluggard is a person who just, yeah, they just don't, they just don't have any life in them. And, uh, you know, I, I get this picture of this guy sitting there with his hand in the Cheerios. And then, of course, pretty soon, you know, if, if you're like that, well, it leads to health problems. And then pretty soon, you know, you're thinking about, you know, uh, well, you know, I'm not eating the way I should eat. Oh, I don't understand why I have this health problem and the next health problem and my body's starting to fall apart, yada, yada, yada. You're responsible for your own life, is what the scripture is saying. Don't be a slug. Look at the next verse, verse 16. Here's the worst part about a slug. Look at this. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. You know what the problem with the sluggard is? He thinks he's, oh, he thinks he's fine. You ever try to tell a sluggard he ought to get off the duff and get moving? He thinks they're fine. It's very hard sometimes to convince somebody who's missing out on life that, wow, you know, if you're too lazy to eat, maybe you're too lazy. And uh, it's a big problem because they think they're fine. He's wise in his own eyes. He's rationalized to himself that he's okay when, in fact, he's in deep weeds and he needs to change his life. You know, sometimes I think we're guilty of this in this way that, um, you know, there's a lot of different areas of our life. And men in particular, we kind of do life in sections like a waffle, right? And, uh, you know, you've got social life, you've got your financial life, you've got your sexual life, you've got your spiritual life, you've got your physical life, you've got all these different things. And you kind of look at your life and you say, well, you know what? I'm doing pretty good in maybe four out of five of these different sections, you know? So I have this one section that I'm just going to be a sluggard in. 
I mean, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm financially okay, and I'm this way, and I'm that way, and I'm, I'm a good worker at work, and so on. But, you know, I've never had a devotion in my life. I've never gotten up early to spend time with God. But, you know, I'm just going to let that slide because on the surface, four out of five isn't bad. And I know people worse than me. And I just wondered this morning if it wouldn't be a good question to kind of ask ourselves, in all these different areas, is there one area that we're kind of a sluggard in? Maybe we wouldn't label ourselves like a total sluggard, but is there an area in our life, our marriage, our kids, our job, our finances, our spiritual life, where we're kind of sluggish? Uh, and then I think, you know, uh, uh, one of the reasons that a sluggard thinks that he's wise in his own eyes is a lot of times a person who's uh, kind of in this kind of sluggish mode often has fantasies and deals with life with fantasies instead of reality. Isn't that true? Uh, I, I just think about this, right? Um, you ever do this in some area of your life? You know, maybe you have a problem and, and you just choose to think, you know, something good is going to happen to me. You know, maybe, um, you know, you're in debt and you think, I'm going to win the lottery. In fact, I'm even going to pray that God will help me to win the lottery because God doesn't want me to be in debt. Well, I just want to ask, you know, how's that work out for you? Because usually it doesn't work, right? Or, you know, we think, oh, somebody's going to die and leave me a lot of money and then all my problems will be solved. Fantasy. Just a fantasy, right? Or, uh, you know, someday I'm just going to wake up and I won't want to party anymore. I don't have to work at it. I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to fantasize that someday I'm going to wake up and I'll never want to take a drink again. It'll just happen somehow, somehow, someday. Uh, even though I keep eating junk food, someday I'm going to be healthy. Ooh, don't hit so close to home, right? Uh, even though I keep spending money, someday the credit card people will lose my records. <laughs> even though I neglect God, someday he'll bless my life and I'll be like so-and-so that I want to be like Jesus. It doesn't work that way. I think what the author of Proverbs is trying to tell us, what God is trying to tell us is, you know, you can't just say, if I do nothing, someday I'll wake up and my marriage will be great. Because life, does, life is about reality, not fantasy. And behind a lot of the inactivity of a sluggard is just a lot of wishful thinking that somehow life will just come to me instead of taking the life that God has already given me and own responsibility for it. To, to give God a return on the investment that he's made of giving me life. Kind of the Matthew 25 principle. And, and so the sluggard's got some problems. And uh, some of the problems that we have in our lives might be created by this kind of sluggish approach. It says a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Now this doesn't mean that you shouldn't take a day off. doesn't mean you shouldn't have a vacation. But it means that, you know, life was meant to be invested and even our vacations and our days off can be used wisely to invest in that recreation of ourselves so that God could have his way with all of us. Well, you know, what if you, um, what if you do, oh, well, let me give you one more, 22.13. This, uh, this is kind of funny. Uh, this is, again, 22.13. Here's what the sluggard says. Verse 13, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. Talk about making excuses. And I might get murdered. 
So I'm just going to pull the covers over my head and stay right where I am and keep rocking, right? Talk about a master of excuses. You know, why don't you get going? Why don't you do something? Why don't you get up and go to church? Why don't you get up and love a neighbor? Why don't you go to school and get an education? Why don't you get a better job? Why don't you go buy a copy of the Bible and read it? There's a lion on the loose. And I might get murdered. Right? This is a kind of funny, I think. You know, uh, focused on what might go wrong instead of what might go right. Leading with a no, I like to call it. Creates problems. You know what? The truth of the matter is, there is a lion in the street. The Bible says that Satan roams around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. There's always a lion in the street. He's always there, right? Well, get up and do what you have to do to defeat the lion. As a believer, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Get up and do what you have to do to protect the other people around you from the lion who's roaming in the streets. The sluggard. You know, I can't do anything. There's a lion out there, and I might get hurt, you know. Well, what if you do recognize a tendency in some area of your life to be kind of sluggish? I would say that most of us have some area of our life where we're rather careless or maybe even lazy. And um, if you can't figure it out, you can ask, ask your spouse. They'll be happy to tell you what that area is. Or you can ask the Lord. You can ask the Lord and say, you know, how's my witness? How's my prayer life? How's my tithing? You know, you can ask the Lord, and he'll be happy to point out some area. Well, what should we do if we find that there's a slug in the garden of our life? Well, I'm glad you asked, because back in Proverbs 6, where we started out, here's where the author of Proverbs has some great advice to those of us who struggle with sluggishness. What should we do if we find a slug uh, in our garden? Proverbs 6, 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Go to the ant. And consider its ways and be wise. He tells the sluggard to go to the ant academy. He says, you know, consider the ant's ways. Study the ant. Go get yourself an ant farm and consider how wise the ant is. Now, I want to suggest three things about the ant that make him wise that we can learn from. Number one, verse seven, the ant has no commander, no overseer or ruler. The ant is not at all dependent on outside motivation. The life of God comes to us into our spirits, into our hearts. And the life of God motivates us from the inside out. One of the things that the, uh, we learn from the ant is that, you know, the motivation to... I don't need somebody to, you know, be cracking a whip on me. If I'm a believer, and of course the Bible's written to believers. The Bible's written to the people of God. The Bible's written to people, you know, who are, are the people of God who are going to read it. And so one of the first things you learn about the ant, you know, is that the motivation for life comes from within. The ant doesn't have excuses. The ant doesn't say, you know what, it's the government's fault I don't have any food. The ant doesn't say that. The ant doesn't say, it's my wife's fault. The ant doesn't say, you know, if only I had a better pastor, I'd be a better Christian. The ant just doesn't say those kinds of things. Uh, the ant says, you know, it's my boss. The ant doesn't say, you know, if only my parents did a better job or my teachers and so on. No, here's how life was made to work. Self-motivation. Initiative from the inside, from the very spirit of God taking up residence within us to give us the wisdom, to give us the energy, to give us the power to live life from the inside. 
if we're not going to be like the sluggard and make excuses and say that my whole life is just the result of everybody else's influence on me, well, what is my life? Well, it's going to be a result of the influence of God. And we can learn it from the ant. Um, it's self-motivation. Assessing a situation, yielding to what God has revealed and built into me, the ant, you know, gets it. Just understands, you know, if I don't do something, my life's going to go south. The ant just knows that. And, uh, you know, if I don't uh, move, the day is coming when I'm going to be really sorry. Nobody has to be on the ant's case. They're self-motivated. One of the reasons I was so happy that Chris Hemrick came back to work with us is that when he was here before, I could tell he's already been to the Ant Academy and graduated because he's self-motivated. He just understands what needs to be done and does it because it comes from the inside. He's self-motivated. The second thing I notice about the ant is um, I think the ant understands that my life has a past, has a present, and has a future. The life that God gave me has a past, present, and future. So I can't just live in the present and respond to every impulse that comes along. I have to learn from my past the truth about myself, the truth about life, the truth about God, and I know what's coming in the future, so I have to be preparing for the future in the present. Because I know that what's going to happen tomorrow is dependent on the choices I make today. And the ant just understands this. So look, it says, verse 8, the ant stores its provisions in summer and gathers food at the harvest. The ant knows winter's coming. The ant doesn't live in crisis mode. The ant learns from its past, prepares for its future. Uh, I have to be able to think ahead and determine, you know, what kind of tomorrow I'm going to have, both now in this life and in eternity. God is shouting from heaven that this life is not all there is. There is an eternity on the other side of, you know, the first hundred years of our life. And God is screaming to get ready in so many different ways. And, uh, you know, my dad had his own um, excavating business when he was working. And uh, I always remember we had to work extra hard in the summer because in the wintertime when the ground froze, we couldn't dig anything anymore. The ground would be frozen. And um, I remember in the fall, we used to go up to New York State someplace to some butcher shop, and we used to come home with a whole truckload and fill up the freezer, and it would get us through the winter. And we always had to prepare, you know. And it was always an issue between my mom and my dad because, of course, summertime, mom wanted to take a vacation. So the kids are out of school. we got to go on vacation. No, this is the time to work. We'll go on vacation in the winter. Yeah, but in the winter, there's kids aren't... I don't remember. <clears throat> okay, so the aunt understands, you know, you have a past that we should be learning from, should be growing, and we have a future that we should be... I think this is one of the major reasons that you and I should study prophecy. About a third of the Bible when it was written is prophetic, talking about the future at the time it was written, about a third. And, you know, there are some Christians who say, oh, you know, it's just too confusing, I don't want to stay. Well, listen, there's a future coming, and, you know, we don't know, but there are a lot of people who say, well, this, look, it's, it keeps getting closer and closer. And if you don't know the future, you can't prepare for it. One of the reasons I think God has revealed what's going to happen in the future is so that we can make choices today to be prepared. And instead of be like the sluggard, be like the ant and learn. And then the third thing that I observe from the ant is that uh, the ant, it seems to me, has discipline. Discipline. Uh, it has a goal, and it understands its goal is to, you know, survive the winter, have food. But it understands that in order to reach that goal, it's going to take some discipline. 
I think every musician, every athlete, every speaker, every parent, every CEO knows about discipline. If we set a goal for ourselves of having uh, between now and the time we die to be increasingly doing life-giving living, it's an honorable goal to be like Christ and to live our lives giving life away. If you want to be a, a friend or a parent or a spouse or a Christian who gives life to the people around you, if you want to honor God with a well-lived life, maximize your gifts, maximize the grace that God has given to you and extend it to other people, well, it takes discipline. It doesn't just happen. Uh, call discipline uh, delayed gratification. Isn't that really what discipline is? It's just delayed gratification. It's how diets work. It's how savings accounts get built. It's how promotions happen in general. It's delayed gratification. I don't do what I want to do today so that I can be who I want to be tomorrow. Delayed gratification. It's just a, a discipline. You kind of have to decide ahead of time. And uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 30 uh, See, Proverbs 30, 25. Listen to this. Um, ants are small, right? It says in verse 24, verse 25, ants are creatures of little strength. You've probably squished a bunch of them in your travels, you mean people. And yet they store up their food in the summer. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to have a great position. Ants are small. But they're disciplined. They understand what's coming in the future. And they prepare for it. Go to the ant academy. And sluggards, learn from the ant the whole issue of discipline. We need to kind of decide ahead of time of what you want to be so that you will do what you often don't want to do so that you can be what you really want to be. I often think that's what a coach is, right? Wrestling coach. You know, uh, they're making kids do what they don't want to do, practice, so that they can be what they really want to be, champions. And I think the same thing is true in, in every discipline of life. And that's why discipline becomes such an important part of this, being able to do this. Uh, I don't wait until I feel like getting up on Sunday or Monday. First I decide what kind of Christian do I want to be in the body of Christ, and then I decide what kind of employee do I want to be, and then I get up. I don't just live in the present. You see, I've made decisions about how I want to be, and so I do the things I don't really want to do in order that I can be the person that I really want to be. I learn from myself from the past. I'm aware of what's coming in the future, and so I increasingly have the capacity to make wise decisions. Now, it occurs to me, uh, just in conclusion here, it occurs to me that the sluggard and the ant, okay, are very basic creatures. This is a very fundamental kind of foundational issue in people's lives. Like, where is the motivation coming from? Am I being pushed around by everything that's on the surface of my life, or is there a presence of the living God so that the motivation for my living and my choices and decisions is coming from someplace inside of me, from the very spirit of the living God? And am I able to dial in enough to be able to hear his wisdom and follow his lead, especially as he speaks to us through the scriptures? And so the slug in Proverbs is ridiculed, but the ant 
is praised. And if you're a believer in God, which again is who the Bible is written to, uh, you understand that the Bible says, listen, if God is for you, who could be against you? And to have the courage to listen to the voice of God and take that stand and make those choices and decisions on the basis of what's coming to you from the inside takes some courage sometimes. Much easier to be a slug. But this is a very fundamental, basic kind of issue. And uh, I think as we increasingly spend time with God and grow and mature and so forth, there'll be less and less excuses, less and less blaming somebody else, right? And more and more, with God's help, victory that overcomes the world in which God has placed us. And that's a great prospect. And so I think this is kind of exciting. Just think about a slug and an ant. Very basic, very foundational. And take the different areas of your life and ask yourself, you know, am I sluggish in some area or another where God would have me go to study the ant and uh, recognize uh, from the ant uh, those uh, uh, three characteristics uh, that would change my sluggishness into something God could use and make me more of a life-giving, living person. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the Bible. We thank you, Father, for uh, preserving for us these uh, proverbs, this wisdom that comes from, you know, thousands of years ago and is still as relevant today as it was when it was written. And Father, this morning, I pray that your Spirit would press in on us the lessons from the slug and from the ant. And that, Father, we would recognize it's not our circumstances, it's not how we grew up, it's not other people around us, it's whether or not we're willing to allow your spirit to direct our lives from the inside. It's whether or not we're willing to have discipline. Uh, it's whether or not we're willing to allow you to motivate us from the inside. It's whether or not, Father, uh, we understand that there's a future that you're trying to prepare us for. That part of uh, what you're doing with us in this life is getting us ready to live in heaven. And that as we uh, understand that and understand that whole process, uh, that we would have a different kind of uh, understanding of the things that are happening to us. And that we would recognize the opportunities that are ours in the difficult times uh, to be able to apply wisdom and uh, to be like the ant and to persevere. And, uh, Father, to give you first place in our life and to give you glory for all of eternity. Thank you for sending Jesus so that we can be reconciled. Thank you for then placing your spirit inside of us so that we can understand your word. And thank you, Father, for the daily guidance that you offer to all who are willing to listen in order that you might preserve us from some of the problems common to man, in order that we might be freed up to be more like Christ and to use our lives in life-giving living for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.